good people. Today I had the pleasure of interviewing Mona El Yafi, a prominent PR professional. But more importantly, she was the first woman on my show. So I was happy about that. I am happy about that. My new producer, Jeannie, told me I need to <laughs> womanize my show, woman up my show. So I hope you all enjoyed the interview. Take a listen. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers. And each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears and let's get into this. Come on. All right. Welcome back to The Truth Prescription. Today we have another special guest for you. Uh, Mona El Yafi. Uh, how you doing, Mona? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing doing great. Uh, I'm here in, uh, well, I would say New York City. I'm actually in New Jersey, and you're in sunny California in not, Los Not Angeles. too sunny right now. We got the, <laughs> the June gloom, so I'm staring at, at a cloudy sky, but in a couple of hours, it should clear up. So It should clear up. Sunny well, indeed. The, 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 the city of angels. Um <laughs> So, you know, on the truth prescription, we always uh, strive to bring our listeners, guests who are successful in their fields, which you are. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, but more specifically, not just successful in, in their fields, but people who have gone through experiences which have led them to certain truths. Um, Mona has had, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let her go into it. We'll get into it, but a very uh, interesting uh, life in general. Um, and has a lot has had to deal with a lot of uh, adversity, and is now sort of on the other end of that. Um, your start was you, it sounds like you started. Um, you you had a journal did a journalism degree at NYU in 1995. Um, you worked at uh, the Lee Salters Company, Norman and Winter Associates, Luck Media. These are all prestigious PR companies. Harper PR. And for the last 13 years, you've um, steered your own imprint, uh, ILDK Media, which is a boutique PR company there in uh, Los Angeles. So um, in all that time, um, I'm sure there were a lot of ups and downs. One of the things that, you know, we we, I want to probably just jump right into the to the uh, person, your personal truth story. And I usually don't preempt my guests, but I'm really interested to hear this because, you know, you were raised by uh, a Catholic mother and a Muslim father. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, I, I, I grew up not uh, my dad was not much around. Um, OK, but um, yeah, he's Muslim, was Muslim. My mom's Catholic. So uh, I grew up in I was born in Beirut and then we moved to uh, Paris, France, when the Civil War started. So right. I was four years old um, when we moved. And um, like I said, my dad was not m- around that much. Um, okay. he, he would you know, travel a lot. So whenever he was back, um, certainly, um, you know, uh, I mean, I knew who he was. 
and right. then, and right. part of, he was part of my life. Um, right, right. But, but um, I was, I always say I was, you know, mostly raised by my mom and my grandparents. So it was mostly on my mom's side, but okay. I was very close to uh, my aunt on my father's okay. side because she right. has kids. I mean, my cousins are pretty much my age and I was uh, always around them. So I was right. exposed to the Muslim culture. Uh, you were, okay. A lot, yeah. Well, you, you know, you talk about two of the most conservative <laughs> religions, you know, known yeah. to man. And um, so I'm sure when you um, came out, that must have been an interesting uh, contrast in terms of trying to figure out, you know, coming from the background that you came from, trying to figure out how I was, how you were going to explain to these people your truth, which is who you really were. Uh, on the inside, meaning you know, being being lesbian. So, I, again, I I typically don't preempt my guests. I give you the opportunity to talk about any kind of personal truth. I I just feel like that would be a really interesting place to talk about going through that process in terms of trying to let uh, your family know what your uh, what what your truth was about your sexuality. Actually, on my father's side, I only came out, so to speak, to my cousins, because like I said, I was always been very close to them. Um, not so much to my dad. He passed in 2013 and uh, I was uh, in touch with him, but we never really talked about that um, just because I don't know. I never felt like I needed to say anything. Um, and I, a little part of me was a bit scared because I'm very aware of what the culture is all about, some of the, you know, restrictions and the way that they think. And I didn't find it necessary. And, you know, for me to say anything, um, especially they were not, he wasn't really kind of, you know, prying on my private life. So, uh, I never, I, I don't know if I would have lied or maybe kind of, you know, <laughs> I, I really don't know. It's kind of an interesting question. Um, because to me it's, it's, okay. And I hate labels, so I, I don't really call myself a lesbian. I'm more, I guess the term would be bi, but okay. uh, certainly more attracted to women than okay. than, than men. Um, for me, it's mostly okay. about connection. So whoever I'm connecting with, then, uh, you know, that's the person okay. that I'll be with. It just happens to be a woman for the past eight years now. So, um, oh, that's fine. Okay. But yeah, again, with my, my right. dad, I'm not quite sure... Uh, if I would have come out to him, I don't know. My mom, I did come out. She's she knows. Um, she's met my uh, my wife, and she's um, um, uh, my right. entire family on my mom's side is comfortable with that, at least to my face. <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, but I think they are. Yeah, they're right. very uh, right. And it surprised me because I you know was also concerned about the whole. We were not hardcore Catholics, but certainly, you know, I remember growing up, I think I was right. probably the biggest homophobe you could have found. Um, it's just kind of <laughs> ironic when you think about it. Very ironic. Yeah, growing Very up, ironic. you know, I was in a Catholic uh, semi-private school and uh, we used to okay. joke about, you know, gay mm. people. Not that often, but right. we, you know, calling people fags and things like that. It was because that's right. what kids would do, you know. Um Right, and that was part of it. So yeah, mea culpa. But um, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting how I now I completely changed my mind. Of course, I you know it's certainly not my uh, uh, way of talking, and um, and I told right. as well. You know, I 
thanks to Facebook, I've reconnected with a lot of those kids. And I was a bit oh, concerned. Wow. Yeah, I was a bit concerned um, about how they might um, view me. And uh, judge or not judge. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, you still think about that because no matter what, we still come from that generation, I guess. We're certainly more yes. open minded than yes. the previous generation. Sure. But um, yeah, I was I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see that they're all very accepting and embraced, uh, um, you know, me the way I am, which is um, right. is a very nice feeling, certainly. Was there a particular truth that you learned uh, in that uh, process of exposing who you really were to your fought well to your mother's side yeah it was freeing I, I don't think I had ever experienced something like that and I thought that you know okay. when I did it and got the approval of course because they tell you you know just speak right. your truth and don't anticipate anything from the other person because you can't control people's reaction okay. which is true right but it's always nice it's when they side yeah. you know on when they're siding with you so um yeah <laughs> i was lucky i was lucky you know one of those lucky persons that that got the approval and acceptance so certainly was a very freeing uh, process for me to uh, um, be accepted so it was the sort of the truth for you was being open and honest about who you really were provided a sense of a modicum of freedom and release for you. Yes, absolutely. I read about how when you came back from the diner in 1999 for the first time, you cried, which is also. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, it was kind of interesting the way that things sort of evolved because um I, um, like you mentioned, I was um, working as a publicist and, and for me to even find that on a professional level, I wanted, I mean, you know, the, the field of public relations was really uh, right. the professional field that I wanted to uh, uh, go into and, and build hopefully a career right. uh, and was, right. was already something that was kind of reassuring and gratifying. So knowing that I started, you know, I, I I had originally started when I came back from uh, New York, uh, back to LA. I started working at an entertainment uh, company. It was a, a record label, and I was doing a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. And that's how I found that PR okay. was probably the field that I wanted to go in. Um, so then I went I to see. work for the Lee Salters company, which was you know a PR company, and I was in the music yeah. department, and that confirmed that uh, indeed I wanted to be a publicist. So, sure. unfortunately, I had uh, issues with my back and I had to have back surgery. So then I uh, took okay. a year off. I was on disability and they, because it was uh, uh, not a huge company, they couldn't really wait for me. So I, I they let go of me. Um, and then knowing that mm. I had lost my job, um, talking about immigration, I was on a, a work permit. So I had to find another job to do a transfer with, right. uh, you know, papers. Yeah, exactly. So um, it was a lot of stress for me. And um, sure. it started to sort of uh, hang out with the wrong crowd. But I mean, wrong crowd <laughs> and not so much the wrong crowd. I, I became infatuated with right. this person that I met, a woman who I thought was stunning. And it was something beyond just, you know, the, the physical beauty. But long story short, I fell in love with her. I think it was more infatuation mm. than, than falling in love, but it, it kind of confirmed okay. uh, or showed me that uh, 
you know, I was, uh, uh, was gay. And, um, uh, okay. what happened is I, um, she, I didn't know that she was actually, uh, a recovering drug addict. And so for the year and a half that I hung out with her, a, a lot happened. So, uh, we, but one of them was that she decided to, um, take a group of friends and go to the diner. So that was my first time experiencing oh. the diner. I had no idea uh, an event like this, okay. um, even existed. And, um, you know, I, I was trying to find a solution for my back. I mean, I could barely walk. It was just you know, extreme pain. I had no idea what was going on. Um, but so when I went to the diner, I was a bit handicapped and I spent most of my time just uh. staring at people's back and, and wondering how they could move because that was <laughs> right. my reality at the right. time. But uh, right. beyond that, um, I was also, it was just amazing to see the sea of women um, all gay and just having my, a blast, my, being okay with who they are and enjoying, you know. Let me just cut you off for one second. For my listeners who don't know what the diner is, why don't you just give a, be, a brief um, background on what the diner was and, you know, so they can get a sense of w- what you were experiencing when you were there. The Dinah Shore Weekend is, uh, is a five-day um, uh, event that takes place yearly, um, usually at the end of March, beginning of April in Palm Springs, California. And it's, it's like the spring break mm-hmm. for lesbians. Um, it's queer women getting together wow, okay. and, uh, Mariah Hansen, who's the event producer and founder, uh, produces, uh, just this massive, um, event that's filled with comedy shows, live concerts, pool parties, and it's just five days of pure fun and magic. And so that's where I found myself. <laughs> and, uh, and, and year after year, it grows. So, I mean, in 19, I think it was 88, 98, sorry, uh, 98 or 99, I can't remember. When I first went, um, to, mm-hmm. you know, compared to today, uh, it's certainly, you know, uh, bigger now. But uh, back then, it was pretty big already. So it, it was very impressive for someone like me who, you know, was raised, again, again Catholic, and uh, uh, move. Uh, I just moved to the U.S. and uh, and it's kind of sort of coming out. So um, yeah, it felt safe and um, and just reassuring for me, you know, at least. And it seems like it was also it was exciting. It oh like yeah, it was yeah, very exciting. Well. well, you know, it's 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 very freeing when you see that you're not alone. There's other people like you, <laughs> right? You know, because right. yeah, it's not like, and certainly back then, it's not like now. I mean, you see gay couples you know, more. I mean, I'm lucky. I live in Los Angeles, so uh, I can walk on the right. street holding my partner's hand, or you know, and I see a lot of gay couples uh, do the same. And you don't just have to be in West Hollywood uh, to do that. So it's kind of right. nice. But back then, it. Yeah, West Hollywood is the gay area here in Los Angeles. So right, um, oh. the West Village. That's that was that's the area in New York where I first uh, experienced it as well. Yeah. So um, oh, and I, yeah. back then I it wasn't as open, you know, as as it is now. And today, I mean, certainly, you still have cities where you still hide. So uh, oh, when you're mm. in a place like the Dinah and pretty much take over the entire city for five days and so it's uh it's it's amazing amazing. yeah okay 
So yeah, I cried because I was like, wow, I had no idea. You don't want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. You certainly ever had didn't. I, I was like, wow. Right. You know, it's 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 like when you go to summer camp and you have a blast <laughs> and you make so many friends and then right. you don't you know, you didn't want to go in the first place, but then you don't want to leave. <laughs> right, right. That's a great analogy. Summer camp. That's great. All right. It's kind of talked about both your personal and professional, but specifically in in the PR world, you know, you're dealing with clients of high stature. Has there been any um, any situations or stories you can tell us about um, where you there was a truth that you learned? Um, yeah, actually, there's one that uh, my my grandfather, who unfortunately passed last August, um, used to tell me all the time that that you mm. should never treat people in a bad way because you never know who they might be tomorrow. Meaning no, nobody's lesser than you um, mm. in business and in life. And, right. um, and then he kept telling me, you know, you, you just never know again, you know, where they might be tomorrow, but also you, um, nothing you do goes unnoticed. And um, I actually got proof of that mm. okay. um, in a very interesting way for me. I'm a huge fan of George Michael and okay. um, rest in peace back to back when I was uh, handling the PR at Harper PR, we had uh, we were uh, doing PR for Joshua Escondon, who was uh, a very famous DJ who used to be on K-Big here in Los Angeles, uh, which is a okay. top 40, I guess, uh, radio station. And it was we were handling the PR for him for about a year. And I remember my uh, my boss at the time used to send all her clients to all those you know trendy Hollywood events. So most of my nights, I was out doing red carpets with those clients and taking them to all those parties. And after a while, you know, I get tired of it, but they get tired of it because <laughs> it's it's PR, but it's yeah. not PR like getting an article in a magazine sure. or an interview or, you know, something that's more tangible than right. other than just being taken, being photographed on a, on a red carpet. But anyway, long story short, after I did that so many nights with him. And uh, he always used to uh, joke about, you know, why is it always you? And <laughs> I didn't have an answer for him. <laughs> My boss didn't want to go out. <laughs> so right. I was going. Right. But cut to, what, four years, five years later, George Michael's at the Virgin Megastore mm -hmm. uh, signing autographs because he had just released his album Patience. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, the Virgin Megastore doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. But it, it used to be uh, uh, on Sunset and Crescent Heights. Okay. And uh, so I go in and the line is huge of fans trying to sure. have their album signed. And I don't want to stand in line, of course. Of so course I not. sneak into the, the store <laughs> and um, I'm trying to find a way to go in. And uh, but I don't have any ways to do that. So right. um, just when I'm about to give up, I hear someone call my name <laughs> and it's Joshua. Wow, and um, he says, you know, he's asking me why are you here. So I tell him I'm a huge fan, blah blah blah. So he says, well, I'm here with the radio. I have an extra press pass. If you want, I'll give it to you. And of course, wow. I said yes. And but he said, you know, after everything you've done for me, it's the least I can do. Wow, and That's I was beautiful. like, wow, this is this is nice. Like he actually noticed. Yeah, he remembers. Silly, but I. Yeah, I thought about what my grandfather told me, and yeah. uh, I thought, you know, this is, that's the truth. 
Yeah. Um, in my case, it meant a lot because, you know, I had just lost my grandmother. She was a big fan of George Michael, too. But I think <laughs> like most people in my family, they're fans because I am. And every time they hear a song, they think about me. My grandma, actually, when I lived in New York. Every time she would hear George Michael, she would call me and tell me she was thinking about me. <laughs> wow, that's sweet. That's so sweet. Wow. That truth reminds me of something I, I always say, which is always do the right thing, you know, no matter what. You know, always try to do the right thing. Yeah. And, and what you're saying is essentially the same. You know, you treat people the right way regardless of whatever their perceived station is. Because, again, you know, I don't even think it's not even so much about who they might be in the future. It's just doing the right thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, just doing the right no, thing. I agree. But I think, you know, a lot of a lot of people tend to judge. You judge, you know, by the way someone's dressed or yes. the way someone uh, talks or whatever. So and so then, yeah. you know, it, you, you and then you just don't know who those people are and then where right. they come from or what their experience have been, and, you know. So every, we should all treat everyone, like you say, yeah, do the right thing, but we're all the same. Yeah, you know? it agitates me sometimes because people will meet me and I'll have on, you know, uh, a sweatshirt and a hoodie and uh, some sneakers and they may somehow find out that I'm a physician or I'm an author or a filmmaker. And then all of a sudden they're so interested. They want to talk to me. They want, you know, and it's like, yeah, uh-huh. you know, yeah, it's just, uh, it's, yeah, I got that too. Yeah, yeah it's just, it's, 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 it's interesting. I'll just, I'll just leave it there. But I had an experience like that. I was grocery shopping right after I had gone to the gym. So I was all sweaty and um, and, so, and I had all my bags in my hands and I was trying to, I had just paid, but I was at one of those red box machines to, you know, looking at the DVDs and then the security woman from the store, it was Ralph's, came up to me and asked me if I paid for all the items. And at first I didn't, I didn't get it. Oh. And then I was like, well, oh. well of course like, I got offended. Oh. <laughs> but I thought, right, Oh my God. Yeah. She right. judged. Right. She thought yeah. I was homeless or something <laughs> because I was not, you know, dressed <laughs> the right way, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but right. yeah, it, was, right. it was interesting. Right. right. Too funny. So I, I, um, I can tell that your, your grandmother had a, a significant impact on your life. And I read that you mm-hmm. actually named your company ILDK after her, after her initials. Tell, tell, tell us a little bit of just about your grandmother and, and why she was important to you. My grandmother was, I mean, my, both of my grandparents um, were, you know, meant the world, mean the world to me. Fortunately, they're both gone now. Um, mm-hmm. But growing up, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother because my mom was working. She was actually working with my grandfather. So uh, every time I, after school, I would go you know, to uh, uh, stay at my grandparents to wait for my mom to be done with work, come pick us up, my older brother and I, and, you know, go home. We lived like a block away from each other. But my grandmother was a fascinating woman. Okay. I mean, she stayed home, raised three kids, but was extremely um, artistic. She was um, actually a fashion designer and used to uh, design dresses uh, back when she lived in Egypt. In Lebanon, she would make dresses wow. for a lot of the uh, women living there. But she she was, and it's kind of interesting because okay. she was exposed to, you know, the Middle Eastern kind of culture, which still then was, you know, all about the man. 
Uh, not to say that women uh, were less. You know what I mean? But it's like I the men should go it's to work men, and women should stay focused. home. You know, that kind of culture. Um, <laughs> but she wasn't like that at all. She always pushed me. You sounded like a preacher. It was it was kind of interesting. Yeah, you're like man should work and a woman should stay home. You know, sound, sound <laughs> But that was you know the way that they they right. used it's to true. think. Uh, certainly in the Middle East, I think it still goes yeah. on. You know, today where a woman really a woman's duty is to be at home, right. raise kids, be in the kitchen, clean, do all those right. chores. You know, while the man is the, right. the breadwinner. But my grandmother was not at all like this. She was very. You know, pro women always encouraged me to uh, get a job and, and uh, you know, study and make something yeah. out of myself and do something that I yeah. enjoy um, doing. So, you know, certainly build a career and uh, be an entrepreneur. And you know, I think it's something that she's kind of wanted right. for herself, um, but never really had a chance right. to. Um, and so, well, I'm the only grand. Uh, daughter so we're, they're all boys <laughs> so maybe she projected all that onto me i don't know but i was it's very very close to her yeah and, uh, she was yeah my mentor it sounds like uh, she went against the grain and that's something you were, you were attracted to even at a young age yeah i like charismatic people and i think she, she had yeah she did have a lot okay. of charisma and uh, um, I, I certainly put put her on the pedestal, but um, I thought she was a fascinating woman. I, very, very strong woman with all, all the things that she's gone through in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, um, just hearing her tell the, her own story was something that was very inspirational for me. Yeah, motivated yeah, so. me, actually, to uh, become something, be someone. And go against the grain. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, you you wrote a memoir called Disconnected with the Coke italicized or uh, capped. Yes. So disconnected. Yes. And um, I read I read a little bit of it. And you have this line in there that says anyone is capable of anything. And I wanted you to to, to sort of expound on that. If you can give us a story from that experience that illustrates anyone doing anything. Yeah, I think, and, and again, that that goes back to my grandmother. Um, she always would t- she would always tell me, "Do not underestimate the power of the mind." And I never really understood what that meant um, mm. until after the whole drug phase, because I don't think that uh, I really understood what was what I was doing. I mean, I knew what I was doing, but uh, like the bigger picture. After my drug phase, okay. I realized that we're pretty much able to do anything we want as long as we put our mind to it. I forget who said, you know, whatever the mind can conceive, it can achieve. Uh, but I love the same because it is so true. Right. And in my case, during those drug years, I certainly did that in a negative way. But it showed me that if I really set my mind onto something, I can do it. Because every time I was in need of drugs, I found a way, good or bad, to, to obtain it. Um, and so after that, I was mm. like, I, this is what really showed me that my grandmother was right. That you know, you can't underestimate the power of the mind. It's easier said than done, of course. But um, if you stick to your beliefs, of course, um, then you can accomplish anything. In terms of my uh, the, the drug years, I what could be an example of something that I that I did. 
or someone in your circle did that made you that really hit home that point of anyone will do anything because when I read that I thought about like someone climbing up a hill on broken glass, you know, trying to get to a, a goal. Yeah. Well, you know? I, I mean, again, the, the, the girl that I mentioned before that I became infatuated with, she's the one who sort of took me into the drug world. She, yeah. um, like I said, was a recovering drug addict. I was so sheltered from that world that I knew nothing about it. And I guess I was, when you're saying, you know, going against the grain, there was a part of me that was always attracted to what's dangerous. And I thought mm. at, at that point I was leaving, you know, my life was pretty boring. And, <laughs> and so she gave me the opportunity. Yeah, I thought I was boring, you know, nothing exciting. Wow. I wasn't doing drugs. I, my life was just boring. <laughs> so um, she had a parasailing accident and they okay. got her on a prescription drug. So when the drug ran out, she went back to her drug of choice. This is how it all sort of happened. I see. And that was I in conjunction, uh, you know, parallel to me doing the back surgery and being in my recovery phase. Okay. And you and you all were living together at the time? or Yeah, we were roommates okay. um, at the time. Which was silly because she had a partner and uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but I wasn't thinking, obviously. So I let go of my apartment um, and uh, moved in with them and um, started you know, just to follow everything she was doing. So the day that she asked me if I wanted to try, I didn't say no. Because I thought I was going to be cool. It was going to ah. be something you know, different and um, entertaining. I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I don't think I was quite aware of the fact that I do have an addictive personality and that maybe that was the beginning of okay. something really bad. But yeah, I was, okay. I was just looking for uh, you know, something exciting. So you two were sharing both prescription pills and then eventually narcotics. I was on Vicodin after my back surgery. She was on something stronger, but I can't remember what okay. it was. Again, I'm not that much of an expert in prescription pills or drugs. Codone. I can't. Re- I really can't yeah. because she had the parasailing accident in Hawaii, and I guess in that state they had Oof, a triple dose wow. of whatever that that drug was. But when she came back to LA. They wouldn't mm. prescribe her that drug because it doesn't exist. And I don't think it's it's allowed I here. See. And um, so then she took she was taking my okay. Vicodin because I'm, I hate pills and uh, Vicodin was not sitting well with me. So I, I wanted <laughs> nothing to do with those pills. So I gave her my bottle. My doctor refilled it twice. After that, he's like, no more. And that's when, you know, it was no more for her, really, because I wasn't taking the pills. (laughs) And that's when she went back to her drug of choice, (laughs) which was crack cocaine. I had no idea what that was. And uh, but she showed me and uh, I felt like I was in a movie. But you but you found out you found out. Oh, yeah. Very fast. Yes. I thought at first, you know, I had it on the control that it was just, you know, uh, as a hobby and I could stop whenever I wanted to, but it, it quickly uh, got out of control for me. And um, yeah, okay. then I got totally hooked and learned how to uh, wow. even go to Venice and, and get it because at the beginning she was doing that. She was taking wow. the risk. I'd stay at home and wait. Then uh, one day I went with her just to see how you do it. And then I learned, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever see that show that used to come on? called Locked Up Abroad. Yes, I love that show. (laughs) 
love that that show. That was almost you. (laughs) Good Lord. Yeah, I know. And the funny thing (laughs) is now I watch, I go, look at this idiot. How obvious is this that he's going to get or she's going to get caught? (laughs) But that answers the question of, you know, the situation where anyone will do anything. I mean, can you imagine? Wow. Yeah, that's it's. But one thing actually that I was that I did see was uh, her. We went into uh, we were kind of scoring together at the time. And luckily, I never had to prostitute myself. Thank God for, you know, to to get drugs. Okay, but she did. And I got to see it. And and in my head, I was like, this will never be me. This will never be me. And and I got lucky, you know, I thank God, because when the addiction hits you, you probably were not at a point where you needed to do that. But to your to your maxim that anyone will do anything, you never know what could have happened. You know, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. This is one thing they always tell you, you know, when you say, I never, I will never do blah, blah, blah. And and they they always end with yet. And I'm like, yeah. Right, right. (laughs) But it's so true. You just never know. I mean. Talk a little bit about your process of uh, recovery and kicking the addiction. And and that's got to have been a heart wrenching. I mean, it's. Your body develops, you know, just giving you just some medical background, your body develops a physiologic need for it. You literally, your, your, your neurochemistry changes to the point where, you know, your body needs this, this drug. And when you go off of it, 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 there's a whole physical, emotional complex, a cascade that occurs and it's not pleasant. And uh, how did you get through that? That's a good question. I, I'm not even sure. I, I remember that um, I didn't even know that I was I had hit rock bottom. I, I wasn't quite aware of that because I had tried to stop before, or at least I think I tried because it was gonna, mm. I was going to look good in front of my family. Um, but I don't think I was uh, psychologically ready. I do believe you, you have to want it. Um, again, the power of the mind. And I'm not quite sure okay. why at that point, um, that was okay. that day that I, I fell on my yeah. knee, on, on my knees. And it was my friend at the time who came, I had a studio in Hollywood and um, she, she had the, uh, an extra key to the studio. So she came um, and I was there and I had no more, um, I had tried to score some drugs but my dealer didn't want to advance me anything. And I had run out of things to sell. <laughs> so I didn't know where to get some money. Wow. Um, wow. But, and I don't even know why <laughs> she came in and I fell on my knees and I don't know why it just came out. I said, I need help. And she spent the night with me, uh, helping me detox. Wow. And I remember I was very, very cold. That's all I remember sleeping. And because yeah. I wasn't sleeping much on that drug. And uh, feeling extremely cold. Okay. And um, and then I went to a meeting first thing in the morning. And after that, my aunt and uncle came. Um, they used to live in Los Angeles, and um, you know were very concerned about my health, and and they knew about my drug addiction. So my aunt came, and they decided to they help did. me. Yeah. Um, but they they decided to help me in the in the sense that. Um, they told me that um, they would, I had to file for bankruptcy because I had ruined myself and had no more money, but um, had also uh, sure. kind of messed up my status with the banks. So, because I used to make fake deposits so that I could get some <laughs> oh. cash out 
Um, oh no! But <laughs> anyone will do anything. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, yeah. I was like, oh, how about I, uh, I go, I put a. Back then, you had to use an envelope to make a deposit, and so I put an empty envelope and then pretend that I had just deposited five hundred dollars or whatever the amount. So I knew I could get at least twenty dollars out or something. I can't remember what the amount was, but twenty dollars was all I needed. <laughs> So uh, it worked for a while, <laughs> but then they caught on to the trick and uh, yeah. <laughs> it didn't work anymore. But yeah, my, my aunt <laughs> helped, me, uh, helped me a lot. <laughs> so for me, it, I remember that first night was extremely uh, painful, but mostly because I was cold. I was so cold. Okay. And then AA helped a lot, I have to say, because again, it was seeing that okay. you had other people uh, experiencing the same the same thing, familiarity, yeah. That I was going through. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, other people in the same boat as, as me, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it helps. And it's nice. Did you ever go through a phase where you didn't trust yourself? Because I, I know, like, just my own personal experience, sometimes when you go through things, you may not trust your decision-making ability in terms of the people that you let into your life, or even financial decisions that you may make. Did you ever have any situation like that where you didn't trust yourself? And if so, how long did it take you to learn how to trust yourself? Mm, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I think I kind of doubted myself a little bit when I started my company. That was in 2004. Yeah. Okay. But it's mostly because of the way that it all happened. Um, I was... I was working for Harper PR at the time, and um, okay. I always joke that um, I started my company because of Lisa Renna. I uh, <laughs> we uh, we were doing PR at Harper PR. Uh, Tra Tracy uh, Tracy Harper was uh, one of her biggest clients was Lisa Renna at the time. She had two shows, uh, talk shows, if I recall, um, on TV, and uh -huh. um, I was supposed Lisa to go drop off a press kit. Lisa Renna is, uh, isn't she's she? She's uh, on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. That's right. That's right. Soap actress. She used to be on Melrose Place. It was one of the soaps as well she starred in. I can't remember. I think it was. Don't, uh, I, I don't want to say. Days, days of, of Our Lives. I think it was Days of Our Lives. Remember. Days of Our Lives. Yeah. One of, one of those soaps. Yeah. I think it was, right? Yeah. yeah. Days of Our Lives. I and then she was on Melrose Place. She's done a few movies as well for Lifetime. Okay. And then she was she was the host of two shows, talk shows, if I recall. But I, I it was only Tracy Harper and I working. Okay. Uh, so she was Tracy. It was her company. She was my boss. And um, I had to go drop a press kit in Santa Monica. I think it was her agent or, or something like that. And on the way back, I just stopped for coffee. That's all I need. This was super early in the morning. And when I came back to the <laughs> office, um, Tracy was like, where have you been? Like, she's throwing a tantrum. Where have you been? And it wasn't even oh, nine o'clock when I, the time I was supposed to start work. So I don't huh. know why I, I had, I just had enough. And so I yeah. told her that I was quitting. And uh, she said, right. can you put it in writing? I said, sure. So I typed it. And as I'm typing it, I go, what are you doing? <laughs> because you know they my grandfather used to always tell me you never let go of a job until you have another one and i was yeah, doing the exact yeah. opposite at that point 
point. Yeah. Going then, against the you grain. Know, my arrogance kicked in and it's like, <laughs> I'm going to start my own company. Yeah. Like, I'm going to start my own company. So uh, that's what I did right after that. I, uh, well, I, I, you know, gave two week notice, but she let me go after a week. And so I thought, all right, the first <laughs> thing I'm going to do is physically create the company. So I make it real. It's not, you know, uh, again, whatever the mind can conceive, it can achieve. And so I, I filed all the papers and uh, knew right away it was going to be named after my grandmother. And, um, wow. and then wow. I started sending emails to, and calling. It, emails were not that popular still, but um, you still okay. had to make a lot of phone calls. So that's what I did. Took a lot of meetings and try, try to find clients so that I could right. um, oh, exist and, uh, and, and live. So I got very lucky. Right. Have you, in, in that process, have you had any backlash from any of your PR uh, clients who've known your history? Um, no. No, I have to say everybody's been really open-minded. And um, yeah, I've had one client who told me, uh, most of my clients, I don't think know that I wrote the book. I, I mm. wasn't, you know, it's always right. easier to, uh, to launch a PR campaign for clients than yourself. So I, right. I wasn't too aggressive with, with the PR campaign. <laughs> when I was researching you, I said to myself, this, she works in PR, public relations, but she's like not relatable <laughs> publicly because I couldn't find much. There were no interviews. There was a couple of articles and there were two pictures of you and one of them you had your hand by your face. No, I mean, I, yeah. I was like, you know, who is this person? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's why I work behind right. the scenes. I was never interested in becoming a you know a rock star or an right. actress or right. yeah i can't i i'm too shy mm. so this is actually very safe okay. for me because i i'm behind behind the, computer. the microphone <laughs> um yeah it's funny because yeah i work in communication and uh, i think i'm the worst at promoting myself so do you, let me ask you a question do you know i did some research on this the name mona do you know what it means in what language? I know it means pretty. And no, 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 wait. One, there's one, I think, is it Spanish? It's like a monkey or something like that. <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, I looked at. You tell um, me. So, various. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm going to tell you. So, in various languages, Persian, Italian, Greek, uh, even Sanskrit, when you look at the meaning, it all kind of comes down to this concept of oneness. Uh, so the the name Mona is akin to oneness, and uh, one of the things I want to ask you is what what's the one mark, the one thing you'd like to leave uh, on this planet? What's what's your one the one piece of legacy that Mona would like to leave for for the people? I think I I think it would have to be that we're capable of anything. The people of Earth. We're all capable <laughs> of anything. Again, I, I I really you know I'm I'm gonna okay. quote my grandmother, but again, I love it. I love it. So we're going to jump to the last uh, okay. last little segment uh, game that I like to play here on the show called Yes or BS. Um, basically, I'm going to give you a statement and okay. then you can say yes or BS. And if you want to expound on it, you can. And if you don't, you don't have to. Okay. All right. And I usually put my radio voice on when I, when, when I do these. So just bear with me. Mm. Number one, Islam is a complicated religion. Yes. I think yes, but not in a bad way. I think it is because of the way that that men, and when I say men, I mean in general, uh, are interpreting the 
uh, religion, because I think there it's it's there's a lot of of uh, misrepresentation and it's distorted yes. at times the way that they're uh, conveying the message okay. of what Islam really is. And so you know, I think like any religion is complicated because you have people that are too extreme in the way Great that point. they live it, and um, it's certainly not a good representation of uh, of that faith. So. Right. That's why it is complicated, but not just Islam. Every religion, I think, yes. is, is yes. complicated because men make it exactly. Complicated. It's a great point, and I'm, I'm glad you expounded on it because all the major religions are based around books that haven't changed in thousands of years. So we would think that it would be very uncomplicated because it uh, mm-hmm. the 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 black and white words on the page are very clear and it doesn't leave much room for interpretation. But as man, we normally do interpret so. Okay. Number two, New York is the best city in which to own a PR company. BS. Not just New York. I think, you know, nowadays, <laughs> I'm in LA. New York is, is very trendy. I love New York. I'm more of an East Coast person than, than West Coast. Um, I mean, I grew up yes. in Paris, so I, I relate to New York much more than LA. Okay. Uh, but you can't complain here. You know, the weather, the beach, everything is just okay. amazing. Um, not yeah. a huge fan of the superficiality, but um, well, there's good and bad yes. everywhere. But in terms of having a PR company, I think you can have a PR company anywhere in the world nowadays. It's all you know online. So in terms of networking, probably going out, socializing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Number three. We will see a gay or transgender president in the next 10 years. Yes, I believe it. Yeah, I hope. All right. I hope to see a woman soon. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was going to happen yeah, we... <laughs> back in November. <laughs> you and, well, remember, she won the popular vote. <laughs> That's true. But yeah. Yeah. This is not France. So she would have been president in France. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no, she not here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was looking at an interview with Al Gore the other day. I said, man, I feel so bad for that guy. Because the same thing happened to him. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Number four. Catholicism is a complicated religion. I think I know your answer to that. So we'll yeah, <laughs> go to I the answer next that. <laughs> But I think, you know, I mean, they're all beautiful religions, I think. You know, both Islam and, and uh, uh, yeah. uh, you know. They're both beautiful. I mean, I was exposed to both. You know, every time I would go see my my cousins, uh, I would see them pray. I, and I went to see them in Egypt. Um, my my uh, trip to Cairo was one of the most beautiful yeah. vacation I've ever taken. I cried living, you know. I, I didn't want to leave. Wow. Um, yeah, I think yeah, both of them are just beautiful. Beautiful religions. Okay. Number five. Retirement is the best kept secret. I don't know. I'm not there yet. But just <laughs> seeing my aunt uh, and my 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 uh, my miserable my grandfather was. I'm gonna say maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think you need a hobby. If you don't have a passion or a hobby, then it's gonna be pretty yeah. boring. I think. But I might be yeah, wrong. I don't know. That's true. You're going to find out at some point. Yeah, or maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I can't sit still. So I wonder if, if I'll be able to ever retire. <laughs> I have to be doing something. I got that sense from you, which is why I wrote this question. 
But maybe I love swimming. So my dream one day is to actually teach kids who don't know how to swim, you know, how to swim. So maybe I'll do that. That'll be my way, you know, of giving wow, back. That's beautiful. Okay. Number seven, being an author is more rewarding than working in PR. I think so. But PR includes writing. So I'm lucky that I'm able to do that. <laughs> uh, it's not the same kind of writing, but uh, it's still right. being creative. Yes. Writing is a pretty yes. scary thing, you know. Um, it is. Yes, so, it is. I, I do know yes, that. Yes, I know. All right. Number eight, beating addiction means respecting the possibility of relapse. Yes. All right. Number nine, breakups are less painful than back pain. No, BS. BS. I went through, well, <laughs> if you're in love, I think, because, yeah, I've experienced, I was, I was yeah. in love and I experienced a breakup. I was the one breaking up, but it hurt so much. Yeah, I'm going to say the emotional pain was excruciating. So the back pain was nothing in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> in comparison You're like give me some more back pain i need some of that love i know yeah i'm telling you <laughs> yeah well the back pain at least you know uh, you know where it's coming from and you know eventually it's going to go away but a breakup especially if right. you were in love that kills you i mean it's devastating yeah. you just you got my like anything in life you know, time will heal things but time is so slow yeah. <laughs> So, and then, you know, you got to, again, especially with an addictive mind. My uncle says it takes double the amount of time that you're with the person in order for you to get over them. <laughs> I heard that. So, you know, a friend of mine told me that and I was like, well, I hope not. Not that I was <laughs> with that person for a long time. It was almost right. two years. So I was like, I'm right. not going to suffer for a year. This is not going to happen. Yeah, no, um, four years. But you know what helps? Yeah. I got a dog. That's oh, how good. I got my little, my little dog. So get, oh, wow. get a dog. It helps you. <laughs> yeah. You can give that love to someone else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and dogs give that unconditional love, which is beautiful. Yeah. And then, the, you know, mine actually was being a clown to every time I would cry. He was, I guess they sense it. And so he was just doing something that was completely silly and would make me laugh. And it just got me out of my funk. And then it forces you to go yeah. out and think of someone else than yourself and your misery. So right. um, he came at the perfect time. Yeah, it changes the focus. That's great. All right. And the last one, public relations and marketing can be deceitful. Yes, I think it's true, especially nowadays. I think that with mm. uh, social media mm. and uh, the mm. internet, there's a lot, it gives a platform to a lot of people who don't necessarily mm -hmm. have an authority in anything to become okay. important because they have a certain amount of followers, but that doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about and that yeah. the way they're presenting something um, is, is the right thing. You know what I mean? Right. So I think it can be deceitful. Yeah, because... Even us as publicists, no, yeah. there are ways we can spin the news or present something in, in a way that's going to fit the narrative that we want you to hear. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. So you have a responsibility. Yeah. That's what I say. But, you know, I, it's just upsetting when you watch the news and, and you see how everything's so manipulated. It's frustrating because, again, when you hear certain people who shouldn't be speaking and you're like, really? <laughs> right. Come on. It's all... Right about sensationalism nowadays and it's all about ratings and it's all about popularity so a lot of 
reporters that you see, they drive me nuts because they right. tell you in journalism, you are not the news. But half of them now, they are. It's about, again, notoriety. Right. All right. Well, that is all I have. This was great. Great conversation. Yeah, thank you. And Mona, tell the people a little bit about where they can pick up your book and um, where they can learn more about your company. The book is available on Amazon um, so that you can order it online. And in terms of the company, you can go to the website. It's ildkmedia.com. You'll have all the information, little information about my background and um, what the company is all about. Some of the clients that uh, I represent. All right. Well, Mona, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. I really enjoyed talking to you. You're quite welcome. And uh, hopefully when I get out to, to L.A., we can sit down and have some Java. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You, you definitely call me if you're in L.A. If I come to New York, I'll do the same. Absolutely. All right. As I always say, the truth will set you free if you let it.